you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. In season two of Hacks and Hobbies, we're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life. Want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. In this episode, we get to speak with Joseph Villarubia. You got it. Man. Awesome. You wouldn't believe the number of people who don't get that right on the first try. Really? Props to you, sir. <laughs> yeah. Joseph, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day and coming on to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Joseph Villarubia. I am a copywriter and aspiring digital marketer. I've been in the writing business for about two years and uh, enjoy it immensely. Nice. Um, I hail from Maryland. I live outside of Washington, D.C. Nice. Anything else? <laughs> of course, everything else, man. <laughs> and now that I hear you from this awesome platform of Zencaster, you do have a uh, radio voice, man. <laughs> yeah, people people do tell me that. I mean, a couple other things about about myself. I mean, we we do. I was saying that uh, that I'm completely ADHD. Yeah. And uh, and as such, I have a wide variety of interests. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to get into everything uh, because I I see mm -hmm. I see value and excitement in in, in almost everything. So mm -hmm. so I love kayaking. I love canoeing. I love bicycle riding. Nice. I really enjoy building things that are uh, somehow automated, mm -hmm. right? So so if I can understand how each component works together, mm -hmm. even if I can't see, you know, exactly what can be built with those things, yeah. I really enjoy playing with them, building stuff, making making more connections, improving, optimizing, all that all that fun stuff. I can do that for hours and hours and hours without even thinking about eating or sleeping. Nice. Oh, karate too. Nice. Uh, martial arts, mixed martial arts, things like that. You know, funny thing, I did um, kickboxing years and years ago. And this was back in Saudi Arabia. And this is, I did it for like three months. We got a booklet and it said, you know, kickboxing or Jeet Kune Do, you know, was invented by Bruce Lee. Uh -huh. And there's actually a movie in the movie um, portrayed by his son talks exactly, you know, all about it. They demonstrate, you know, how powerful Jeet Kune Do was, you know, within 60 seconds, he was able to defeat his opponent. And I was like, this is so cool. So, you know, I did that for like three months and then I moved to the States. And then I kept looking. I was like, where can I train for Jit Kune Do out, out here? But I just never was able to find it. And then later on in life, I, I found some kickboxing classes. And I just didn't have the time to, you know, get back into that sport. Yeah. Another another really effective uh, martial art that's, that's similar to kickboxing uh -huh. and is essentially a uh, self-defense technique. Yeah is Krav Maga. Mm, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's the it's the Israeli mixed martial arts. It's basically the the beauty of it is in its simplicity. There's like maybe 15 or 20 moves to learn. Oh, really? And each move can be applied to a wide variety of different situations. Like, you know, is the person holding a gun or a knife in their hand? Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter. I mean, like, you know, with this technique, <laughs> the point is you get it out of their hand, right? And then you Yes. You know, hit them in the face to paralyze them or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you take them down with, yeah. you know, 
as little as little effort on your part and as little damage as possible to them you know you don't want to wow. you don't want to use excessive force uh both because it's you know getting you in trouble and also because yeah we really don't want to hurt people that badly you know no so one of the things that you mentioned that you wanted to do as a hobby was um mountain biking what is what is it about my mountain biking that's so fascinating to you there's just something about being i mean i mean and you talk to you talk to people who drive race cars who ride horses yeah uh, and and who also ride bicycles and motorbikes mm -hmm. some of the time the, they'll just they'll just describe the experience of being on something that is moving almost like it's under its own power yeah right that basically when when you make even so much as a slight adjustment yeah it responds immediately yeah. right yes for, i mean for different people it's different like for for some people it's just yeah. hey i really like feeling the wind in my face you know yes um i really like the for horseback riders i really like the feeling of mm -hmm. of a four-legged quadruped moving <laughs> moving under me or whatever um yeah you know for for me though for bicycle riding it's that this is something which which moves itself under my power yeah by pedaling it and it's it's like my whole body has to be involved like every part of it right yeah S sitting at a computer the only things that need to be involved are like my fingers my eyes my ears and my, my brain basically yes right but on a bike mm -hmm. i mean especially especially mountain biking and stuff like that where you've got yeah. where you've got to adjust immediately for whatever situation arises you know it's like it's like your whole body and your spirit is is engaged in the act of staying on top of that bike and making it over the obstacles. Yes, absolutely. Now, what's funny about me is I got into biking. So when I was younger, I rode different types of bikes. I think my first bike was probably a BMX, but then I even had a banana bike. And then eventually my last bike that I had uh, growing up was a mountain bike. And this was uh, 95, 90, you know, 94, 95. And then uh, what's funny is that every single bike that I owned was eventually stolen at one point in my life. <laughs> Yeah, that's always rough. <laughs> right. So when I moved to the States, I was like, all right, I need, I need, I want to get a bicycle. But I never got to buying a bicycle till 2011. Okay. Um, so from 95 to like 2011, I was like, I'm going to get a bike. I'm going to get a bike. And, and just never got a bike. You know, I was driving. Like I'm driving cars around. And then so finally I got a mountain bike and my brother-in-law is huge into mountain biking. He's like, yeah, dude, get a mountain bike. And for some reason, um, at one point, my cousin was working at REI and he's like, dude, I can get you discount on these mountain bikes. And one of my friends told me, you know, you totally got to get a Diamondback mountain bike because they are the best. Now I have no idea about bikes, right? No mm -hmm. idea which, what's a good manufacturer or whatever. If I'm going to get a bike, it has to be a Diamondback. So I ended up getting a Diamondback mountain bike and towards, towards the end of 2013, something like that. And um, the bike was awesome it's it was heavy i mean i, I picked the cheapest one that i could find <laughs> yep. and uh my neighbor he's like let's go biking and he's got a road bike and we're going up this hill i'm like oh my god i can't do this this is a mountain bike i'm supposed to be going downhill yep. and another session that i did was with my with my colleague and he he was into mountain biking too so we end up going night riding. I'm like, dude, I just want to ride my bike in a regular day, not at nighttime. And I ended up poking my eye because 
Uh, it was just weird. So not great experiences. But then I moved to this to Virginia, and my brother was like, "All right, let's go mountain biking." And we went to we went to all these cool trails, and it was a lot of fun. And I think I I did that for about a year and a half. Mountain biking it was a ton of fun. And now there's like technology is changing all the time. They, they've got these carbon bikes. They've got bikes with huge wheels. They've got bikes with, you know, front suspension, rear suspension, full on, right? You have so many different gears. And I'm like, I can't keep up with this stuff. It's just impossible. So recently I got into road biking because I met with, met, met with a friend of mine and, you know, I joined a team and I did a lot of road biking last year. So I like my mountain bike, but I don't really take it out as much as I took out my road bike because on the road it's so much easier you just get on the road and you can start riding for mountain biking I have to go find the trails now one of the awesome experiences I had on mountain biking was out in Vail so I, I was used to live in Cal- Colorado uh-huh. and up in the, on the Whale Mountains you can in the summertime, you can rent a mountain bike, go up the mountain using a gondola, and come riding down as fast as you can. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah. And I found out recently that there's some trails out here as well that can do something like that. Yeah, man. So that's pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm trying to get my sons into riding bikes as well. And it's been pretty pretty awesome so far yeah it's it's really uh, a growing experience i think i think riding bicycles may be something which is better learned as uh as a kid i mean you know like i i would not be as experienced a rider today if yeah uh, if i had started now um mm-hmm. because you know then I'm, I'm i'm getting up every morning and and going to work and then coming back and cooking and you know taking care of the family and you know all, all that yeah. other stuff and and, yeah. and when when do I have time to ride? Maybe the weekends. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas whereas learning when I was nine, ten years old, uh, my father used to the the way that he taught me to ride um, was he would put me on the saddle of a bike and and he would mm-hmm. and he would basically propel the bike around the yard, right? And um, uh-huh. with me sitting in the saddle, and basically my whole job was to just have my hands on the handlebars and mm-hmm. and learn how to position my body so that yeah uh, so that the bike wouldn't sway. Right now, now of course he he had his hands on it and it was stable, but it wasn't perfectly stable. Yeah, right. So yeah. if I shifted too much to the right mm-hmm. i would feel the bike shift that way and then he would pull it back yeah right if it shifted to the left he would catch it and he would push it back but there was still that mm-hmm. moment when the bike almost started to lose control yeah right this is also where i learned like i was allowed to to steer the bike completely mm-hmm. right so this was also where i learned you know how much is too much to to turn the bike yeah uh if you turn it too far you're gonna flop over horizontally on your face yep right mm-hmm. or on your side rather yeah um and then and then after that he progressed to uh pushing me down the hill mm-hmm. uh outside our house uh we yeah. had we, we had a hill uh um, yeah. and, and it was, it was a great hill because it was, it was steep and grassy, but it wasn't terribly long. Mm-hmm. And then it flattened out into a wide, uh, flat area. So, okay. uh, basically I could, I could go down it really fast 
you know, again, lessons in keeping my balance and all that stuff. Um, and then, and then I would have time to, you know, kind of learn to bring it to a halt with the brakes going down this hill. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, just gradually losing momentum. No, no, that's, that's so true. My, I can't remember for the life of me how I started to ride a bike or, you know, how I learned, but I know my dad was definitely involved, but teaching my kids to ride a bike, we had training wheels, mm-hmm. right? So they've had training wheels. So my young, my oldest son, he's running the bike since he was four all the way up to um, six or six or seven. And he still had, I mean, he grew out of the small bike to a bigger bike, but he still had those training wheels. So finally, one day, I think my neighbor, um, I had taken the wheels off. I was like, all right, you have to learn how to, you know, have to learn how to balance your bike and start riding it. So one day, my neighbor was like, all right, I'm just going to push you and, you know, help you while you stay on the bike and pedal because he knew how to pedal. And so he pedaled and then he finally caught on and he started riding on his own. I was like, yep, had to be, you know, had to take somebody else to help him get into to that mode of okay, I gotta, I gotta, you know, make sure I don't let them down. <laughs> I can let my dad down, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, so, so he's been riding bikes, and then I finally got him a a twenty four inch, you know, uh, road bike, which is also a gravel bike. So he's grown into it. And next year, I think he turns nine, and I want him, I want him to participate in some races and see how he does. Ooh, yeah, that sounds fun. I even, yeah, I even have a trainer at home. So, you know, he can train with me because winter is here and now we're, you know, doing training. And uh, so my my younger son, I got him a balance bike and he's got the balance thing down. I mean, he, he just pushes him, propels himself pushing, but he just doesn't know how to pedal yet. I mean, he, he, he does the pedaling with the with the bike and the side, what do you call this, the training wheels. But he's got to combine the two together. <laughs> and then, you know, hopefully in springtime, he'll be ready to ride, ride his bike on his own. It's really exciting to see when, you know, kids learn and how fast they learn and get that moving. Uh, so like you said, you know, you, you have ADHD. I do. I don't have it clinically. I mean, I think I do. Mm-hmm. I think I have ADD, but I don't think... Um, I was diagnosed for it yet. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm always, you know, looking for different experiences and trying different things out. And for this um, big holiday sale, we picked up a hoverboard. Oh, yeah? Have you tried one of those things yet? A hoverboard. So I never really learned skateboarding. I tried it once um, Yeah. outside my friend Eric's house Yeah. Uh, growing up. And I got on the board and it shot out from under me and I landed on my ass. And that <laughs> oh was the last God. time I tried that. Now... <laughs> I don't want you to think that landing on my behind is a uh, deterrent to me. Um, I've actually crashed on my bike probably, oh, seven or eight times. Um, (laughs) Like bad ones. Like there was this one time I was coming down a a large hill and I calculated what the bottom of or misestimated what the bottom of the hill was like. And it was actually a sharp ditch uh, that, you know, instead of instead of kind of leveling out. Yeah. There, there was a sharp ditch and there was uh, asphalt 
on the other side. So I, instead of uh, coming out into a nice, gentle, you know, uh, stop on the asphalt, mm. I ended up slamming my front wheel into the side of this ditch, Ouch. and I got flung oh. like probably five or six feet and landed on my face. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, don't don't worry, my features are still quite beautiful, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't a pleasant experience, and they certainly weren't for a couple of weeks no, after no. that incident. Oh man, I've I've had some falling experiences on being on the snowboard. I've uh, punched myself falling off of a, a snowboard, and I never really got into skateboarding either. But so there was one time where we we brought it. We ended up bringing a skateboard from the states back to Saudi, but we really I never really rode it to like ride it. We actually used to move furniture. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 the boxes around like hey this is pretty cool we just need wheels hey that's smart yeah but um so the hoverboard is really cool so you got you know two wheels on either side what's really cool is that um it didn't really take us too long to get a handle of it because once it number one it is self-balancing so you just have to find your balance and stand on this thing and all you gotta do is you gotta tap you know you basically push your feet forward or push your push your heels backward to move either side of the hoverboard forward or backward and um the first few times it was pretty hard you know you you're holding on and trying to get a handle of it but now my youngest son, three years old, right, almost four, he rides that thing like a boss. I'm like, dude, that's so funny. And, you know, he'll just go around, go around the bands. It's really fun. And my older son, he he's just, um, and so, so far we've been only riding it indoors. So we have carpet and a wood floor and vinyl floor. But we haven't taken it outside yet. I'm, I'm guessing that it's going to be much harder once we take this thing outside and outdoors on the asphalt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think then, I think that's that may be one of the valuable lessons that these things provide us is that well, it's it's two things, right? So so for me. The bicycle was a ticket to more freedom, right? Like if I wanted to go across town to hang out with my buddies at the park, I could hop on my bike on, on my bike and I could go there, right? Absolutely. And instead of, you know, spending, you know, half an hour walking there, I could spend in, instead of, you know, spending, you know, half an hour oh, walking yeah. there, I could spend of motion that belonged to me, right? It was, it was yes. my bike. The I, mobility, I could, right? I could just get on it and go, right? Yes. This this connection between motion and freedom um, is and personal independence is a very profound one, uh, like for, for me anyway. And the thing is, is that that carries a responsibility with it, right? When when I'm riding my bike, if I if I crash and hurt myself, the only person who's responsible for the crash is me, unless somebody hit me. Yes, <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, so so it it introduces both these lessons about uh, motion and freedom. Uh, and freedom of it movement, is. as well as the responsibility for yourself and for other people that that goes along with it. Re repeat of that lesson when when I got my first car, right? You know, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. like when when I got my first car, my dad was like, "You gotta you gotta bear in mind that that you having your license and you having a vehicle gives you yeah. freedom. It gives you the privilege to hop in this thing and go wherever you want, whenever you want. But it also carries Absolutely. a responsibility." with it a responsibility yeah. for yourself and a responsibility for the other people who may find themselves near the path of your car uh, while you're operating yes. it so so yeah no that's absolutely true that's absolutely true i mean the freedom that we get in cars the freedom that we as younger kids you know getting um freedom 
riding our bicycles. Um, because you've probably seen the TV show, um, what's that TV show? Stranger Things, right? You got the three boys. I actually don't watch a lot of TV. Okay. Uh, I've seen maybe, uh, I, I like Defiance and The Last Kingdom okay. and Vikings, and that's about it. <laughs> okay. All right. That's cool. Well, anyways, the this, the story of the 80s, uh-huh. right? We, like you and I, we used to ride our bikes and go to our friend's place because that's what I did when I had a bike. And I was, you know, in my teens, I would ride it, you know, 10 minutes and I can be at my friend's house and hang out there and then ride back home. So in the movies, that's the 80s. That's a typical 80s scene. People didn't really have much to do. So they would just ride their bikes. I mean, kids, you know, they would just ride their bikes and go to their friend's place because it's so much more convenient than walking. And um, same with cars. Like I was one, I was the, I was the oldest cousin here when I moved to the states who had a, his first car, and all my cousins would, you know, get to ride with me. Like, hey, you want to go? Want to go uh, to this park, or we want to go to a friend's place, or we want to go to the movies? Hey, where's Janaid? What's he doing on Friday? He can come pick us up, and we used to do a lot of that. And again, you know, it it it's that um, sense of responsibility, sense of ownership, sense of freedom that you get with these um, awesome tools. And um, I mean, skateboarding, I'm, I'm sure, was the same thing for a lot of a lot of the kids, right? They would they they've got a set of wheels, and they could be places faster than uh, walking running yeah i mean in in our town though the uh like another part part of the reason that i didn't skateboard a lot was that the skateboard was bullies thing oh interesting so or at least that was that was kind of the impression that i had of course once i you know grew up and matured a little bit more that that image started to fade yeah as you know i had more and more friends who uh rode skateboards and and weren't mean kids yeah but the the ones that the ones that i typically saw riding around when i was riding my bike Mm -hmm. uh especially in my area most of those kids were up to no good usually yeah that's crazy that is pretty cool so mountain biking riding and uh being mobile being freedom so you said you mentioned that you are a copywriter yes so how exciting is that for you let me put it this way crafting copy Mm -hmm. is not the most fun thing in the world starting to write copy like especially if somebody says i want an original piece of copy Mm -hmm. oftentimes copywriters will find themselves staring at the page for an hour until you know they feel like their head's going to explode or their eyes are going to like stop working or whatever yeah but finishing copy and seeing it be successful yeah is one of the most rewarding things i have i have ever experienced nice and that that actually goes to another level Mm -hmm. it kind of integrates a little bit with what i was telling you about earlier with really liking things that are automated Mm mm-hmm especially when I can understand how each component works together to achieve a specific goal. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm trying to move into right now is funnel hacking and funnel hacking. Yeah. So essentially what it is, is you know what a sales funnel is, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Do you know what a digital sales funnel is? Well, why don't you tell me about it? Well, I can guess all I want. (laughs) Yeah. Conceptually, it's about the same thing. The idea is to capture attention, Mm -hmm. uh, present information and close a sale. Yeah. Right. That's that's essentially the sales process. Find somebody to listen to you. Yeah. Tell them what it is you want them to hear. 
Yeah. And then close them, right? That's that's a usual sales process, a usual sales funnel. And, and and then a lot of companies have like all these different resources like, oh, here's your script, here's your blah, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. With a digital funnel, it's a website that has essentially four steps. Mm-hmm. First is the landing page. So somebody clicks on your advertisement or the link in your email that you sent them or whatever. And mm-hmm. this landing page can take a couple of different forms, right? It, it could be a survey, yeah. right? I'm working on one of these for a friend of mine who's a lawyer right now. He wants to survey people yeah. for his business. Yeah. And then that leads to an info capture page, which is where people put in their, uh, you know, their name and email address if they want uh, to receive emails from the company that's that's sending out the yeah survey, the survey. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere in there, there's like a pitch, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the e-commerce and thank you page. So so it's it's like four or five pages. The simplest ones have just four, and that's the landing page, the info capture, the e-commerce, and the thank you page. Got it. And basically what that's designed to do is to basically take people who are already interested, right? They've responded to the ad, they've responded to the email, whatever it is, and take them through the whole buyer's journey in five minutes. Got it. And then and then close, close a sale. Yeah, yeah. And what I really like about this is that it's something that's automated. It can be hard to build, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, putting one of these things together, just getting all the different components working together, I can do that in like six hours, right? That's not a problem. Yeah. It's the testing it, right? Like, okay, now now we're putting out our ads. They come to our funnel. They're going through. They don't make it past the landing page. That tells me there's a problem on the landing page. Mm -hmm. Now we tweak it a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. We split test. We make we make another page that runs alongside that one. A-B testing. If that one gets a better response, we go, okay, what did we do on that page that is better than this page? Yeah. We evaluate that and then we try to do it better. And then we just keep doing that until the people get to the next page. Mm-hmm. Rinse and repeat. And then once, once it works, once people go all the way through and are actually purchasing the product, now it's optimizing it, right? So... Hmm. So if one of the beautiful things about these kinds of funnels is if you understand like how much money it costs you to get one lead and how many leads you need in order to make one sale, you can figure out how much money you need to budget for uh, for this project. Like like I'm working on one right now for a lawyer. He's got 25 years of experience in debt collections. Mm -hmm. And basically he said, you know. I was thinking back on my career and I realized that I've been spending a lot of my time working with credit unions, helping credit unions to get money that they're owed from, you know, people who basically borrow money from their bank and don't give it back. And then he said, but I was I was sitting thinking about back on my career and I I started to wonder where is the problem, right? Because a lot of these people that I have to go out and collect debts from for on behalf of these credit unions are often small business businesses. Yeah. Now, where's the problem coming from? How can I help these businesses become financially stable enough that that they don't feel that they need to try and shirk their responsibility to pay their debts? Yeah. And he said, it's I realized that a lot of these little companies out there actually have a lot of outstanding debts. Mm-hmm. Construction companies especially. Yeah. 
hey, I rendered services to you. It says right here on the contract, you owe me this much money. You've paid half of it, but you still owe me $10,000 and you haven't paid it to me in, in two months. Yeah. Right. How can I pay my debts if my debt, if people's debts to me aren't being paid? Yeah. And so this lawyer basically said, I want you to build me a funnel to mm-hmm. bring me these, these small business owners who have payments past due mm-hmm. on their accounts and, and want me and want somebody to go out and and collect their debts for them yeah right and it's like that that's i mean nice that's the basis one thing i don't want to do one thing i don't want to do is i don't want to build funnels for like you know the rest of your life yeah well no i'm, I'm happy to, i'm happy to build funnels for the rest of my life in fact i'd be a happy camper building funnels for the rest of my life yeah i would just want it to be for good reasons okay yeah right like like helping small business owners get you know that 10 15 20 30 thousand dollars that they never thought they'd see in their entire life yeah in just a few days like this guy can do and often does mm-hmm. i mean that's that's a worthwhile reason no absolutely to build to build a funnel and send out i mean essentially what amounts to spam right i mean these these emails that we're sending out there they're going out to a bunch of small businesses and they're basically saying hey do you want to take our survey i mean it's technically spam but hey i'm trying to help you right um you know but i would i wouldn't want to spend send out spam for something that you know like cosmetic surgery or something (laughs) right i mean it's like if you want it you know where to get it but i i don't i don't want to try and sell you that yeah got it no that's that's really cool i mean i've seen the process i mean i I worked at um, a company that all we did for small businesses was we're building campaigns for them we're building home uh, landing pages for them and then we're tracking you know from their slang pages landing pages where's the the traffic coming from mm-hmm. did they click on the call button did they go through the you know did they fill out the form or did they cl- click and go to the website of the client so tracking all of that so i just didn't know the exact terminology that's used around it so it's really good to know yeah um i, I really like a website called uh clickfunnel.com it makes it really, really simple. Um, I mean, I've I've built funnels for this for this attorney before. Yeah, yeah. The last one I built him, just getting all the components put together and all the copy written and everything like that, mm-hmm. it took four hours. That was it. Nice. Yeah. But then to to write the copy, you got to know in and out the business, right? Well, that that's the that's actually. The thing about uh, being a copywriter is oftentimes these businesses have the copy written, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or at least they have something that they okay. think will pass as, um, yeah. as you know, really, really good copy. Like I went to school with, with one girl uh, who I'm, I'm working on her website right now. Yeah. And basically, you know, she she had copy written. She she's trying to basically release her own line of of eyelashes. Um, it's sure. yeah, it's uh, chickybeauty.com, c h i c c i beauty.com. Yeah. And basically, on her about us page, she had a lot of really good information, but mm-hmm. it was information that belonged on like a landing page or on her shop page, but it wasn't information that told me who she is and and yeah what her brand stands for right it, it didn't tell me anything about her brand and so i basically told her that and we've been working together on on writing copy for her website and basically getting it getting it ready to go and you know 
sell eyelashes. <laughs> nice. That's very cool. Well, where can people find you, Joseph? My audience. Yeah. So, so for the most part right now, I just have people uh, emailing me at my email address. It's J-O-E-V-I-L-L-A-R-R-U at gmail.com. Okay. They can also go to my website. It's Joseph Villar, uh, V-I-L-L-A-R.com. Mm-hmm. That is my portfolio. And, and actually right now I'm working on converting my portfolio over to WordPress. But if people do want to find out, you know, what my work experience is and you know, some things that for that's the website to go to. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been using WordPress forever and at version 5.0. And it's got a really awesome writing experience. And they're basically trying to take on Medium on their writing platform. Yeah, forward to that. So, well, Joseph, it's re- it was really awesome chatting with you. And I'm sure we can work together because I'm not a copywriter myself, but I do write copy every once in a while. And it takes a lot of time and getting it right. And I think one thing that I recently signed up for is Grammarly. Uh-huh. Definitely has helped clean up some of my writing. But again, to I've got to um, write more copy. In fact, my own website, HumbleZone.com, has not been updated in a very long time. And um, recently, I converted it over to WordPress as well. Then there, I just put a maintenance page on it. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's there's a lot of work to be done in many areas and and there's so many tools available. Actually, WordPress enables you to import RSS feed from other places, huh. which is really cool. And you can manage a content based on topics. It's a really cool plugin. Of course, it costs money to be able to control some of the stuff. But once you have it set up, you can basically import content from other sites. One thing that I've used for my podcast is Anchor is where I put where I upload my podcast. And every time I publish a podcast, my website goes and grabs the new uh, the new podcast and puts it on, creates a new post for it. So that's something really awesome about it. So yeah, WordPress has so much power. It's just, it's amazing how far it's come. Um, what's your what's your experience with uh, satire? By the way, I don't know what satire is. Oh, it's like um, it's like. Do you know what the Onion is? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Humor, humor sites. Yeah, like where where it's like, hey, we're not actually being serious. We're we're just we're just poking fun at like an opponent or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I love satire. I mean, uh, I watch. Mm-hmm. You know Stephen Colbert and and uh, all of that stuff. I mean that's that's what they're doing, right? Political satire. Yeah, like like, like a good example is uh, you know the, um, the there's a proverb I think in the uh, in in the Bible that goes mm-hmm. give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Well, uh, Terry Pratchett, a a famous satirist, wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you give a man a fire, you warm him for a day. If you set a man on fire, you warm him for the rest of his life. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's uh, that's too funny. Uh, that's kind of what satire is. I've been I've been kind of trying my hand at it a little bit. Um, I had a uh, I, I had a friend of mine who okay is. He, he was he was a friend of mine in high school but basically he was yeah. he was trying to convince me of the uh, of the virtues of slavery 
Um, and so I wrote a piece called uh, Why Slavery is Good for the Environment and sent it to him. Um, and it was, I was basically satire, satire. Oh man. Satirizing his, his arguments, um, including like solving the employment problem and uh, healing the environment and things like that. That's so funny. Things like that. Um, but uh, cool, man. So, um, I mean, uh, I would definitely listen to a satire podcast. I mean, if you're looking to, you know, jump into that area. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely think about it again. I'm, I'm still just kind of dabbling in it. I haven't, I haven't published any satire yet. Yeah. Though I am thinking of sending that one I just told you about to the onion. Um, but, uh, seeing what they think. Cool, man. It was really good talking with you. Hope to learn more from you and follow your journey. Sounds good. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode on Hacks and Hobbies. We absolutely appreciate your contribution. You can find additional notes on hacksandhobbies.com. Please share the podcast with your friends and tell them what you learned about our guest today. 